But I do personally think it's the best thing I've ever done in my whole life, full stop. And I was like, look, you're clearly insane. Like, I'm, <laughs> I've never drank alcohol, da, 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 and I'm not going to touch an illegal drug. But the biggest interference is death. It's not my, I don't choose the time. I don't choose like, and we need to change that. My guest today is a friend, but he's also most definitely the most interesting human being I have ever encountered in my life. He's an entrepreneur. He's an investor, but he's also just a really nice guy. And he's invested and started companies in some of the most fascinating industries from psychedelics to space tech, to artificial intelligence, to cryptocurrencies, to fintech, you name it, he's in there. In fact, he's the single biggest investor slash driving force behind the whole psychedelics industry, which is currently trying to cure mental health disorders. This is undoubtedly the most interesting person I know. And I think this is the type of podcast where you're going to demand a part two because we spoke for two hours and even I was left feeling that I was only scratching the surface and that I wanted to know more. The man I'm talking about is Christian Angermeyer. And I genuinely believe he's going to become, if he isn't already, one of Europe's most important investors and entrepreneurs. In the same way that people praise Elon Musk for all the work he's done in the US, I think he's Europe's answer to Elon Musk. Without further ado... I'm Stephen Bartlett, and this is The Diary of a CEO. I hope nobody's listening, but if you are, then please keep this to yourself. Christian, I, I know so much ab- about you and, and the work you do. I, I know you're, you know, I've observed your behavior in person over the last, you know, six, six to 12 months. Um, deeply, deeply fascinating. But the part of you that I know very, very little about is your early years, your upbringing, your childhood. Cute child. Really? (laughs) (laughs) I've been fascinated by that. I think it was a cute child. I've only had Uh, slithers of that part of your life. So could you tell me a little bit more about um, the childhood that made the man? The the main point I'm always making, which I'm really literally happy about, is that I was a very, very happy child. Meaning I'm still a very happy person, but I think the reason why I'm groundedly happy is because I had a great, like, how you say... um, childlike upbringing like i was growing up in a 90 people village um so bavaria in bavaria Bavaria, i literally knew everybody then there were a lot of other children so i'm an only child but like i had a lot of children sort of same age plus minus four years to to grow up with um and we were literally like in the tv series we were out all day like in summer in winter like it was very much like you would picture like what is these american tv series where they my day on a farm or whatever like it was like that like sort of um idyllic childhood yes really idyllic like yeah no crime like no risk like i was literally my mom sent me out in the morning uh in summer winter and i came back in the evening since i'm like five like i was because there was no risk for anything Mm. like um yeah so that was sort of the very very this was till i'm nine and then we moved to a town when you can't say city town with like two thousand people mm-hmm. so it's nearby like wow. kilo, kilometer apart um so it was all very very rural very which i liked so i'm actually was thinking about if i have children or when i have children then how to recreate that which i think won't work so but like i think it's great to have nature which is also by the way I meaning already jumping but like yeah because you know that that would i do a lot in in the in uh, mental health work like and one thing which is really healthy very very simple uh, for your mental health is nature yeah like 
there is even in Japan, they prescribe like a, wa a walk in the forest as a, as a treatment for depression. So anyway, so I grew up in these super nice childhood. Like I always was funnily um, very entrepreneurial. Yeah. And nobody else is. So not in my family, not in this village. Like, so that was always literally like with six, my mom still has the, so the first thing which I did when I learned writing was writing invoices, like so those tiny bills, <laughs> like was it, oh, give me five, <laughs> give me five cents uh, for, for salad. So I was actually had a, a very a flourishing gardening business. Oh, so really? since I'm four, like five. Yeah, because, How's it going? Well, <laughs> sorry, wrong English term. So no, I, psychedelics. I, <laughs> no, I, I stopped it later on when I was 12. Right, but like, okay. no, but this is how I started my first business. But my mom still remembers that the first thing I did with my writing skills was writing her an invoice for salad and everything. Wow. And then I was literally like in a movie, it's very stereotyped, but I was selling um, lemonade to neighbors. Then I was selling lollipops in school. I was selling literally everything. Like I made mm. a business out of everything. So I, w I remember when I went to the, my first cinema um, ever, uh, I think it was like seven. Um, then I was so fascinated that people are buying for something, which is apparently also on TV. Mm -hmm. I didn't get the difference. Yeah, yeah. So then I then started charging my parents at home when they wanted to switch on the TV because I was pretending <laughs> I was running a cinema. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So every, li literally everything I was doing, I saw through the lens of a business. And, and when you look at your child, and my parents were deeply worried <laughs> in a nice way, but they were, worried. they always tend to be with, with kids that are slightly different. Well, but they, they, exactly. I, yeah. So I look like them. So the discussion, uh, if they, maybe not my parents was early off okay, the table. Good. Yeah. But like sort of from the way how I look, see the world and, I'm very different. What were the factors, the sort of macro factors at play that were making you into this entrepreneur at that age, but also the entrepreneur you, you came to become? Like, it was always there. Like I, Sometimes I think for myself, I think, because my parents were never around, they create this big sort of void of freedom and independence, which I thought made this connection in my mind that if I was going to get something, it came from my behavior. I'm thinking about those factors that, you know, freedom, you said, you know, I've heard you say that your parents were very keen for you just to be happy yeah exactly like they were always like i can be whatever i want so but like, it was not that i don't i don't know if that automatically leads to entrepreneurship it could also have led to me being an artist or whatever like mm. i don't think there is a connection between freedom it's actually the freedom to be whatever you want and then i think maybe you maybe it's genetic maybe it's like i don't know like uh, i really this is though the point meaning it was always there there is not there is not a moment i can think of where i sort of changed but it was literally since i can think since i'm four five six like very very early it was always there to make a business out of everything in a nice way hopefully that coupled with some kind of innate curiosity which is in peter thiel said when he did, did a quote about you in sifted he said that curiosity is one of your real sort of yeah but yeah, i don't I'm just thinking if that was that early visible i loved school which i think it was a very nerdy child as well so i yeah, I, um, I loved, actually I did love school for an evening now, more talking than later high school for the one reason. And even if I look back now, I really miss it a bit because it was the only time in life where you do something for the pure reason of learning something with no material sort of, meaning I turned that then also in a business because I started my, my, this was my first real business was when I started a tutoring business when I was 14. 
Um, and then I... Um, what was that like business? Tell me. Tutoring, like like giving other sort kids. of other kids. Yeah, because I was extremely good in school. So I was always the best one in my school, but I was practically always the best one in like the Bavaria, whatever, like top 10. Yeah. And I was always, I like to explain stuff. So... So I think I think that still helps me now because it's part of fundraising to explain complex sort of things to people. Anyway, so I liked I, I did like to explain stuff and I did like to um and I, I was good in the matter. So so I started tutoring. Then there was this tiny thing I, I think a bit that because the teachers very much liked me, because I was always like uh the good child, like everybody who came to me automatically became a little bit better because teachers were treating these children more nicer because they uh. were coming to me. So it became this sort of um, positive virtuous circle that more and more parents were like, oh God, we have to send our children to Christian because it really works. And I think- And what were you doing for these kids? Well, tutoring, like how- you, Teaching them teaching the them same the, thing. The same thing because they were, these were the, the oh, ones okay. who didn't perform well. How you call it in English? Tutoring, right? Yeah, yeah, tutoring. Yeah. And they were your peers. They were the exactly. same age. Same age or younger. No, or younger. Okay, like okay. it was mainly like a little bit younger, like one or two years, but not a lot younger. So anyway, and then I was like, after half a year, I was so like full. Like, I think I worked like 10, 15 hours a week, uh, practically all the time. Like I was tutoring. Like, and then I was like, how do I really scale it up? And it sounds not very, um, I don't know, very banal. Yeah. But for me, this was like the first time I really thought about business, like in an entrepreneurial way how do you scale it up and practically i realized i have the brand because parents want to send their children to me um so i was employing other uh other pupils my same age or even a little bit older and said you can teach under my brand <laughs> and you get half of it and i get half of it so 50 percent margin and i started employing and i continuously till my final grade had like 10 people like always employed yeah, who were tutoring other children. Yeah, so it was a very lucrative business. Um, Meaning for for a child, like, but like- crazy, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. And then, so you get to 16, you get to 18. In that period of your life, I hear that in Bavaria, they have this like public service you've got to do for a year. I just was thinking like, how compliant do I have to be? Because then it's all, I think, what is it called when it's out of time is back? Like nobody nobody can claw it back. Like, because what happened is like, I was always extremely libertarian. And in, we had back then, it changed in Germany, but we had back then, like the Israelis have still, you had to go to the military for a year. And I think in generally, this is wrong, not because I'm against the military, but I think you can employ people. This is a job, like people should want to be a soldier or should want to be something else. But like, I think as a government, meaning I, in general, you think the, the less government, the better. So I, I was thinking, hopefully this comes across charming, but because I was thinking all the time how to avoid it. Unfortunately, I was not daring enough back then. There were tricks to do it. Like you could have had said you're sort of mentally ill or whatever. Like I was not brave enough to go on with that. So I I decided to do, um, uh, you can you could also opt to do civil servant. I saw it in the civil servant, like go to a hospital or whatever. So, and I tried to be really nice. So I picked a job, which I knew is, it didn't re- really require me. It was more like, okay, you had to put these children who didn't want to go to the military. You could say you're pacifist. You had to put them somewhere. It was not that somebody was dependent on me. So I was sitting in that hospital and my only job was to bring stuff from A to B, like mm-hmm. whatever. So then I made an, I remember that I made a, um, how you say, a proposal 
that if we reorganize everything in the hospital, I could do my job in an hour and then go home. Yeah. <laughs> so this was, I was 18 and then they were like, okay, this is crazy. Like it was not really, really uh, popular. Um, so, and then I made the decision that I'm not really going to show up anymore. Um, and the only way to do that was to, um, to get always like doctors to give me like, um, letter, like a, a letter. And so now comes, but the important point, because like till that time, I, um, I was extremely like, I loved learning. So I was actually thinking I'm gonna, if, if I would have gone, and I think this is sometimes how crazy stuff happens. And then it changes sort of the whole course of your whole life practically. So I think if, would, if I would have gone from high school to university, I, I would, would have just been in that sort of mode, like of learning, being extremely good. So I guess I would have just went on with what I was doing, like meaning producing great academic outcomes, so to say. So then came this one year, which I was completely bored. So I, I got these doctors um, writing me letters that I didn't need to show up. But in return, I started managing money for them because I was already speculating on the stock market since I was like, 15, 16, and I was not bad in it. So I became friends with all of these doctors, even in the hospital I was working. And they were all like, well, we help you if you help us. Because this was the early days of the, or don't, you know, like, like this was 1998, mm -hmm. 1999, like this was the stock market boom, whatever. So everybody wanted to be in it. So this was sort of my trade-off for mm -hmm. these letters. Um, and so, and I can't be I'm, I'm easily bored, so I always want to do something. So practically because, so I was not the type of person who was, okay, I have a free year now and I'm going just partying. Like I was like, okay, I have a free year now. I'm going to do more tutoring. Yeah. And I'm going to do managing money for these doctors. Yeah. And sort of that completely switched my, I would say course. Yeah. Like, so I wasn't this, I actually wrote the book. Yeah. And tried to sell that. This didn't work out, but I did a lot of entrepreneurial stuff just because I had time. Mm. Yeah. And then when I practically went to uni, then a year later, I was sort of mentally not anymore in that sort of learning world. I was in the, okay, I want to be an entrepreneur world. And then I was in this sort of, when I met, re-met uh, actually two guys who finally were my tutors in a scholarship I had had during high school already, like for, sounds awkward, but for highly gifted children. Yeah, so I was sort of in summer, summer, uh, yeah, summer, summer, school. summer school, I was at university, this is where I knew them from. We re-met kind of, and they were telling me about this idea and it just sounded great. And they were like my tutors in terms of, I was like, okay, these guys are the pinnacle of biotech. Um, and then I, w I was the one who said, let's do a company together. And, uh, we did, and this worked out really well. And then I dropped out of uni. So this is how it, I think this, how was this sort of, I think without this one year in hospital or sort of one year in hospital, not in hospital. Yeah. I would have stayed on a completely different path. I hear you talk a lot about you believe in like the serendipity yeah, of totally, totally. and spirituality, yeah. which almost seems surprising because you're such a like a scientific led person whereas you do you do believe that things happen at the right totally, time totally totally actually i'm actually very extreme with that so i everything which has happening literally everything this conversation today <laughs> well this conversation happens because we planned it yeah? yeah but like the fact for example that we met originally yeah yeah why our mutual friend whatever so i'm always everything which is happening to me which i didn't actively say hey i need to have a meeting or like which is not in my usual 
rhythm. Yeah. I always think, A, it's happening for a reason. And also it's happening for a good reason. Even bad stuff. I believe in this power of positive thinking, but like more like people always then say, ah, this means like if you wake up in the morning, you're, if you feel great, it's going to be a great day. I think it's more deeper. I I believe in this, there's this great book, Law of Attraction, like whatever you sort of think and rather how you think, not just the, sort of the essence, what you think, not Mm -hmm. like the detail partly, but more the essence. And if you expect sort of good stuff to happen, you're sort of attracting that. Yeah. You think there's a, do you think there's a spiritual force that attracts it? Or do well, you think your intention moves you in that direction? So look, I'm very pragmatic. Meaning, I, I mean, first of all, I dare to talk about this stuff because I'm very also scientific. So I'm like, look, nobody will think I'm crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe a bit. No, no, joking. Like, so, but the other thing is like, there are multiple explanations and I don't really care about the explanation. You can have a very spiritual explanation. Yeah. It's the force of the universe. Yeah. And then you can have a very pragmatic explanation that if you continuously expect positive stuff, then you look out for that stuff. And then it's more like a, a numbers game or like, a, yeah, but, and I don't care. Like it, it works tremendously well for me since I'm 16. Yeah. And I had these, I had some very crazy things which go borderline, which you could explain like sort of with statistics or whatever. Yeah. Um, so maybe too crazy for the chef or that, but, but like, Nothing's but there were crazy. some, there were some things where I tend to believe in the spiritual explanation. Yeah. Because they were, yeah, I think harder to explain or you can always explain them with statistics, but like, you know what I mean? Like, but I don't care. Like it does work tremendously well for me. Okay. So going back to this company you founded with these two, your two sort of like university mentors this company went on to be really successful i yep. think you said it's worth probably about 15 billion at last check market cap today but today. like i sold very early but very early i sold when we went public for a billion so it was it was, one, it was actually pun do you regret selling well there is there is a short and long answer no because like the short answer is no because like a that money was the basis for the rest yeah b also people always mix up market cap and share price mm-hmm. so Meaning I sold at the lower share price that it's today, but the share price is not 15x because they did capital increases. There was dilutive stuff like, so, so anyway, long story, it was an amazing start. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was actually the quickest biotech IPO, I think in Germany ever, uh, we IPO'd three years, three and a half years later after foundation. And for a billion, so it was was everything. Um, and it was sort of, I dropped out of university before, but it like was the sort of sort catalyst. of catalyst, I would say. Yeah. So I, I don't regret that. And, uh, and since then sort of I'm investing and being an entrepreneur, I'm somewhat in between, I would say. I actually, sorry, when I'm jumping, I had this one story again, by the way, which is completely, you can. Serendipitous. <laughs> serendipitous and like even a little bit more. So I remember it exactly. I was 14 years old and I was, uh, with my best friends back then in Munich, which is far away. I mean, for me, this was like, going going to the big <laughs> city like yeah. um and we so we spent the weekend with family members and yeah, i really I remember, remember every single detail of the weekend like what we did and like where what and we went to a bookstore which is for germans who listen who can do is a back then was like sort of like a i don't know iconic bookstore 100 years old in munich i think it's still even there although books are dying out um smaller um so it's in the prime location of munich and so I remember it. So I go into that bookstore 
and there was this whole, I would say, promotion Shelves wall, or, right. yeah, with just one book, which uh, which which is uh, the American Think and Grow Rich from Napoleon Hill. Mm-hmm. And you know, like when in movies, like the fourteen-year-old boy goes in, and then the light is coming yeah, down, yeah, and then yeah. the hallelujah is coming. Sort of that, meaning it, there was no music, there was no light. I was like, that's it. Think and Grow Rich. I need to have that book. So I bought the book and it was practically my first kind of, I mean, Napoleon Hill is not as spiritual as some others, yeah, but like that was my journey into that world of, let's say, spiritual infused success books. How do you define spiritual? Well, there is like Napoleon Hill is sort of, and I love it by the way, because they're all so old, like they're all out of the 1920s. So they they don't have the zeitgeist, which I mm. think in terms of success is rather negative. Like, so it's sort of like raw American. Horny principles. Yes, uh, <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, and Napoleon Hill has, this is why it was a great entry into that thing, because his view was, if you read many of the book starts that he says, he got commissioned by, um, Andrew Carnegie, who was the steel magnate, to find out and do interviews, which I think, by the way, you are doing in a certain way, yeah, yeah with successful people, um, and find out if there are common traits, uh, you say traits, yeah, common denominators, which make them successful. And he did that with all the famous people of his time, from Andrew Carnegie himself to a lot of other famous people. And then he made that into the book. And he's actually saying that the question, he doesn't answer the question why these uh, rules, so to say, work. He's more a neutral observer. And then the next one is actually, there's a guy called Dr. Joseph Murphy who wrote similar books, but more like with the spiritual undertone, why these rules work. Same rules, sort of more explanation why they work, which went more into the religious world. And then you have all the other book and law of attraction is nothing else which is sort of the modern version and the key, which is a sort of a simplified version of an anyway simplified version yeah, of this stuff. Like, but it's at the end, it's always the same rules. Some which think it's, they are God-given, some which say, look, again, this is statistics, whatever, but they do work. I, I deeply believe and they, these things do work. Yeah, um, which is like visualization, yeah. the, the, the way it's, you think. It's visualization is that the, the main thing I think is two things is visualization. So I meditate in the morning and evening, but it's not real meditation. It's more like visualization. So I, ex- I always have a plan for the week, for the month, for the year, for my life. Yeah. And everything kind of did come true so far. So I'm always thinking, what could I add? Like a wish list. Yeah. And now again, you can say if you add something and then you you focused on it, it might come true because you focused on it. There could be a very banal explanation that it's relentless execution and nothing magic. And again, I don't care. It's like, I'm like, well, like, yeah, it does work. So, and the, the visual, I think it's two things, it's visualization. And it's also these, that you have, for example, I'm not it sounds very crazy, but I'm trying to not have negative thoughts. So, and then there is a number of negative thoughts you're gonna have anyway, because you have to deal with stuff when you run a business. But I, for example, I've never watched a horror movie since 20 years, at least, <laughs> because it gives me negativity. So I, and I, I go the extra mile. So I told, for example, friends, when they are too much complaining, meaning I'm, and the first one, friends can call for a problem. But then I'm like, let's go through the problem. That's the solution. That's what you're going to do. But if they would repeatedly, because some people want to not solve the problem, they want to repeat the problem, then I'm like, you can't call me again on that topic because no negativity. Yeah. So I really have a <laughs> rule. That. Yeah. So, 
no negative movies. I never watch a movie with has not a happy ending. So I have people check or I check, yeah, before does it have a happy ending? No bad endings. Nothing which makes me sad. Nothing which makes me negative. Because I'm not, a, I'm not allowed in my own religious philosophy to have negative thoughts and feelings. Feelings are even more important than thoughts because I think they are the underlying driver. So, and it sounds now maybe cheesy and simplified, but I think if you, this is what I'm doing since I'm 14. And if you train yourself not, and again, you will always have an sort of amount because sometimes hard things happen. Yeah. And I don't want to pretend as if my life was easy because I did have very hard times in business. But even in those times I was lying in my bed literally and was like, okay, this is not fun what's happening right now, but it must happen for a very, very positive reason because this is how your world works. And funnily, it always, the worst things in my life turned into the best ones. Yeah, so because I, again, and you can say, now maybe somebody would say, well, because he was persistent and he didn't fall. Okay, then this is the explanation. Maybe there's a deeper one. I don't, again, I don't care. I can always come to the back. So, but I would tell everybody the two things emotionally is like, don't have negative thoughts, just focus on positive sort of thoughts, visualize. These are the key things. Be happy. So many things that, you know. And dare to be happy because most people are, again, don't allow themselves to be happy and even think it's a little bit negative. Toxic. Again, yeah. to so there's this whole thing happening on Instagram. I want to come back to this point about this movies and because I think it's very much linked to your whole thing about alcohol and stuff, this, this happiness equilibrium you talk about. But just quickly on that point of being really positive and un unapologetically positive and saying, listen, don't call me with the same problem twice. Don't interrupt my positivity. There's this whole movement happening on Instagram at the moment where there's such a thing as being toxic positive, it's called. It's bullshit. Like, like <laughs> no, and I like, getting on this point, like, because that's one thing I think, I mean, again, maybe, so I have to, so maybe I'm sitting there, I'm already so old that there is another generation, I'm thinking about the other generation, and because I'm reading a lot, like, very old stuff, and you find Socrates complaining about the youth, so maybe that's a recurring thing, yeah, but I really think part, part of the millennial culture of this victimization and always like blah is this is so wrong this is so wrong yeah so to pre-take a question because then normally people say well you saying that because you're rich you're white oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so i was like okay this is maybe a point let's go back because i didn't talk a lot about it but i'm happy to talk about it like i grew up in this 90 people village yeah i'm gay i'm actually happily gay but I look, I mean, I know I'm gay, I'm gay since I'm 11-ish roundabout. So, and I was looking at sort of that world I was growing up in. And I was like, that's not going to resonate here. Yeah. So <laughs> seriously, like, and that's very, very, uh, very uh, positive phrase. Yeah. So in my school, people were saying, let's beat up gay people. And I was like, that's not going to end well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I didn't think that is anything bad, by the way. I didn't even think these people were sort of wrong. Obviously they were wrong, but I was like, they don't know better. I'm not like, ah, oh, these are bad people. I was just like, be pragmatic. Sometimes life is not fair. Sometimes life is not nice, but you can decide if you react on it. That's one of the other points I really believe in, that you have these tiny millisecond in life on everything. If somebody is sort of rude to you, if somebody says something very bad, and you can decide if you're hurt or not. It's your decision, by the way. Nothing's going to hurt you if you decide you're not going to be hurt. Yeah. So, and I was like, they don't know better and I can't, by the way, and by the way, gay is not what defines me. So I was like, well, then I'm, I'm not gay for a while till I'm out of here. Yeah. I can't have, because there are other things which define me, like 
friends, like, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, sure. it's not that I reduced myself to this one thing and was like, and now I need to shout it out to the world and in return would have get beaten up. Like, I was like, <laughs> just like, just don't do it. Like, but don't blame the others. Yeah. And then move away somewhere. Also, I, I mean, I mean, it's all like, don't try to change everybody else. Work on yourself and like, and your environment, what you can change. Like I could have started like, oh my God, my life is miserable. And I'm growing up in this village and blah, blah, blah. And actually <laughs> talk about serendipity. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm, but again, I'm trained to see the positive stuff. Be if I look back, if I would have been straight, I wouldn't sit here for a very simple reason, because I would have dated every single free minute I would have had, like, <laughs> yeah. And would have enjoyed that. Yeah. So, but I couldn't. So, so what did I do? I was working my ass off and learning all the time. So, and if I hadn't had the grades I had, I would have ended the first money I had. I would have never met these guys with whom I started a biotech company. Yeah. Nothing would have happened. I would have been an ordinary straight boy, most likely smart. Yeah. But not uber smart because sometimes it's smart and hard work to get great. Yeah. It's not all falls and fun. So, so, so the, Practically, the if you say like the the do you say adversary or the negative thing being gay in a very hostile environment and not talking about it and focusing on other stuff, completely made my life, yeah, in a very positive way. I I, I would I mean yeah I I am so happy that this was the case yeah and again and everybody should look everybody has um, uh, limitations and negative stuff but you should look at it and say. They are there for a very positive reason and something amazing will come out of it. I just need to have this continuous sort of expectation. And optimism. And, yeah. Yeah. and you have a real sense of like personal responsibility that comes across. Like you'll take responsibility for yourself and your actions. But who else? I mean, it's like, yeah. who else should the be? The government like, or, you know, someone oh God, else. Jesus, you know is, what I mean? We see that with the vaccine. Give the government a little bit of uh, responsibility and it goes totally wrong. You don't want anybody be responsible for you than yourself. So going to this point about the horror films, which I thought was somewhat connected to what I've heard about your rule with alcohol and cigarettes, you've, I hear you've never drunk before, ever. You've never had a drink. Exactly. So there were two reasons for it. They, they were connected. The one, again, by the way, the one reason was because I was actually thinking, like, if I'm going to be drunk 14, 15, I'm going to spill out I'm gay. And then it's over. Yeah, so, so my social life of being the darling of the school. <laughs> Imagine that day. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. No, and I was also like, I was very nerdy. So teachers loved me, but I was also, how you say, school speaker, speaker of the school, yeah. whatever. So I was socially had a great life. So I was like, no, let's not risk that. <laughs> like no alcohol. You could say the wrong stuff. Yeah. So that was the one thing. And the other thing was that I always sort of, because you do that as a child, and in general, and I think it's a good thing, like if you have one weakness in my case, the weakness for the time was being gay. The others, you build on your strengths, which was like, okay, I, I think I'm kind of smart and also like smart in terms of learning smart. I learned very easy. I always had the best grades. Yeah. So I was, I was sort of focusing on that. So I was also like, okay, alcohol could take that away from me uh, because I thought it makes me dumb, which by the way, it does. Yeah. In a lot of amounts, I still wouldn't drink. But so these were my childish reasons not to drink. And then I just decided, okay, I think I have the perfect equilibrium, like uh, being always happy, having very good grades. Everything was perfect. So I was like, I'm not going to touch any drug ever. And you still haven't touched alcohol, cigarettes? No, so I haven't, I haven't drank alcohol. I haven't smoked a cigarette ever. I haven't smoked a joint ever. 
Nej. I have no idea to take cocaine. I have no idea anything. Like, no comment. <laughs> I, did, I did actually drink alcohol the first time when I was, uh, sorry, alcohol, sorry, uh, coffee, uh, the first time when I was 28. So you avoided coffee as well? I was even avoiding coffee and tea, yeah, because it was a drug. It was almost like the, the very religious people, so I would have been a good Mormon. Um, so, um, but then coffee I started drinking when I was 28. There's something crazy here where you think, okay, so the guy that doesn't want to upset his equilibrium goes on to be the biggest psychedelics investor in the well, world, which that, is all about. I think that was a very good ground because what happened is, so I had uh, a discussion or a dinner. It wasn't a discussion. It was like a dinner discussion, like we were set, somebody set us next to each other uh, with funnily the joke and said, oh, you, the, the guy was a very, or is a very famous um, drug researcher. Like he's the David Nutt of Germany, like the a drug, uh, yeah, uh, advisor to the government, and blah, blah, yeah, a neuroscientist. And somebody said, oh, you should, you should sit next to each other because maybe you can loosen Christian up a bit and he could drink a little bit of alcohol. So, so this is how I met Reiner's name. Serendipity um, again. No, but like, exactly. <laughs> like, again, by the way, everybody else would have said, I remember that I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. Like, and everybody else would have said, well, I, again, in every single thing happening, I see it's good for me. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so we had this discussion and I think, The short version is he was like, look, everything you think is bad is bad. Like, so don't, don't touch it. You, exactly. He actually showed me these and uh, whoever is watching, and maybe, I don't know if you can put it into the, the like, uh, yeah, so yeah. it's like, it's this famous, very famous, but it's so um, to the point, I mean, he's, David Nutt in the UK wrote a whole book about the misperception of drugs. But this one, like he had this one chart which David Nutt made and uh, Reiner pulled it, uh, pulled it off in the internet where you can see sort of the harm. Um, of each drug in the world. Yeah, so how much harm, uh, there was this harm scale. And practically on number one is alcohol. Because even in a, in a holistic approach, alcohol is the worst. And then closely followed by heroin, which by the way, the media used a little bit against David Nutt, which was highly unfair because the headline, I remember, I think in the sun or whatever was like, oh, guy says heroin is better than alcohol. No, the thing is like, they're both very, very bad. Like, but alcohol is as well. We have these- And this is the chart that says the harm to you and the harm to others. Both, it's, it's, it's yeah, in, one, in one exactly, chart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, a chart that shows the harm that these different drugs have on you and others, and alcohol is yeah. the worst. Exactly, alcohol is the worst, but closely followed by heroin, yeah, <laughs> and closely followed by um, crystal meth or whatever. Like everything is bad. And I really like, if there is one positive outcome of people watching that, don't do it. But don't do alcohol, don't do heroin, don't do crystal meth, don't, nothing, no, there is no, by the way, and I'm the most, again, pragmatic person because what I was talking with him was like, is there any drug There could be a drug where you say, oh, it has a little bit of downside, but it has enormous upside. And then you can think for yourself. Again, you are responsible. I don't think the government should be responsible to think for myself. Is there any upside of me taking that risk? Because if I go in a car, I came to you in a car. So I took a risk of dying, meaning very low, but there was a risk, but I was, it's worth to sit with Steven oh, and do that podcast. Like, no, but everything we do in life, by the way, people should look at it. It's like risk return. Yeah. So maybe somebody says, oh, if I smoke a joint once in a while, it makes me so relaxed. Anyway, but you should be aware of the risks. And I think people aren't, especially not with alcohol. Yeah. And if you then still decide actively, I'm going to enjoy my glass of wine, then I think it's great, but you should know it anyway. So, but at the end of that scale, it said, um, um, 
probably with the, at the very end is mushrooms, magic mushrooms. And before the very end, the second sort of easiest or second lowest risk is, is LSD, practically the psychedelic group of, uh, of drug. And he was like, Christian, like, I can't tell you what my host told me to tell you, that you should try alcohol. Don't. Meaning I can also tell you you're not going to die, but like, don't do it. Yeah. Uh, but you should do actually magic mushrooms. And I was like, look, you're clearly insane. Like, I'm, <laughs> I've never drank alcohol, da, 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 and I'm not going to touch an illegal drug. Yeah. And he was very, very uh, persuasive because he was like, look, first of all, you do biotech. You started your career in biotech. Like, I send you, um, I send you all the research I did or I do, but also, which was very cool hindsight. I didn't even value it back then. He was like, I did my PhD with famous Hoffman who invented LSD. So, so Ryan, was replugged into like the old guard of psychedelic uh, luminaries. And he was like, I send you all what, what he did, like read it because there were all these studies. It's not like a crazy idea, meaning again, actually magic mushrooms or the ingredient psilocybin was used as an approved medical drug in the 50s by Sandoz, actually very, uh, at least in Germany, famous um, um, brand um, for, uh, for depression. He was like, look, it was medical. It has no risk, as you can see. I tell you, I send you all the studies, at least read it. And again, I'm very curious. I was like, well, send me. I'm so that was actually again serendipity. And so, and now comes the biggest serendipity because like, so for one year I was just like, not meaning it's not that I had it on my mind every day. I was, just, it was there. Like I read a little bit here. And by the way, again, I know a lot, there's even a book about that, <laughs> which says what some people believe is destiny. It's just like, if you are aware of a theme, yeah, it's a little bit like when I tell you, don't think of the blue elephant or the white, whatever you think of it. Like, so there is this one book, I can't remember the name, which again would be fine for me. Like, because again, it works was like, if you are aware of a thing of a theme, then it pops up you'll, everywhere. You'll see yeah? It. yeah. So over a year, there were not a lot because it was completely not in the public domain, but like there were once here and there, I was like, okay, read something again, whatever. And then more or less exactly one year later, I was with my best friends who, actually have a stake in a tie so they're happy with my best friends in the caribbean uh so disclaimer it was a place uh, where where it's legal um and they had magic mushrooms and they had it like it, it looked like <laughs> mushrooms like this was good because i i'm so hypochondriac and frightened of everything so i would never have taken anything which didn't look like mushrooms so but these <laughs> were dried mushrooms like so i was you like see okay. it from the ground i was like okay that looks real like and they were like and i trust them they're my best friends yeah so big shout out to landon and julian yeah so I trust them anyway. They were like, look, we grew it ourselves. So like safe, we know what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and I was like actually calling Rainer. And, the guy you'd met in Germany. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not mentioning his last name because I don't know if he, <laughs> if he works still in a very famous job. Uh, and I was, he was actually saying the sentence, look, as your doctor friend, do it. It's the best place, best people. You know, it's real. It's, Set and setting. And it, all that. It, it, everything is perfect. Do it. So, so I took all my courage I had. Um, I was really like, and it, it sounds now, I can't say how nervous I was in sort of both anxious and positive. Like, it was like really like not, maybe people say, oh, he's talking about magic mushrooms all the time. It must have been an easy decision. It was not. So yeah, for days. And I was like, okay, let's do it. I still know exactly the point on the beach. 
Yeah, uh, because we're going there every Easter and somewhere I'm going to put a big magic mushroom statue here. Uh, I really will. I really will. I know, you uh, I know the guys <laughs> who own the yeah. island. So I, yeah, they already know of it. Actually, the guy who owns the island is now a shareholder in a tie as course. well. So <laughs> <laughs> everybody is, literally everybody is. So, um, so I did it and it was the single most meaningful thing, full stop. And by the way, it confirmed everything I just said. So because what a lot of people report is that... Um, that um, you, it's a very spiritual experience. And in that case, it was not just a spiritual experience, but it really confirmed 100% my view in life, which is, by the way, interesting, because if we look now at people, because a lot of people ask me, especially successful people, they are like, oh, I've read somebody takes it and then he's going to be a farmer in Brazil. By the way, which was my biggest fear. My biggest fear was like, I'm going to come out of that and I'm going to change my whole life because I realize that, I don't know, I want to do something else. Hindsight, I tell everybody that look at me and look at others. We have both. We have people like me who come out are very, even more happy. But it, for me, it was a very big confirmation of what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, because, um, yeah, I don't mean not because like it was a confirmation like, okay, you see the world in the right way everything, what you do, how you do, you can work on it. So I got a lot of ideas how to make it better, but like sort of the message was you're on the right path. So some other people come out and the message is, look, you have to do something completely else. What is, why is it different? It's actually the same. What it does, I think one sort of, how you say, one uh, description of, of psychedelics is in general, they you realize or you um, you recognize yourself and all your sort of positive and all your dreams, all your trauma and everybody has a bit of trauma, must not be a real, so everything. And then, and some people, and then I was always hindsight, I can say now I was right, like I, or I was right, I, I, I was good in it. I was always living a very honest life to myself. Again, doesn't mean that I say, hey, I decided, for example, not to tell anybody I'm gay. But that's not, from my point of view, this was not a lie because it's my decision. Mm. But it was not a lie to myself. Yeah, it was an active decision to just make you my life. Suppressing, yeah? You it was suppressing it. It was not suppressing it. That was just like pragmatically. Yeah. Uh, by the way, this was also yeah. very simple. There was also nobody to date. Yeah. I was very simple. Like, was no, risk, no, exactly. Risk, risk return. There was no upside <laughs> yeah. because there was nobody who would have appreciated that. Yeah. yeah. And if there was, would have been a hot guy and I was like, he's gay, I'm gay. I was like, hey, <laughs> immediately. Like, but there was no upside, but a lot of downside. Anyway, but what I'm saying is like, I always lived a very honest life. Um, to myself, yeah. Mm. Again, this doesn't mean you have to shout everything out. And this was confirmed. So other people who don't live an honest life to themselves and lie to themselves and maybe tell themselves that they are happy with X, Y, Z, they might realize on a magic mushroom trip that they're not. Like they need, and this is the other people who change, yeah. But so it's very dependent on, yeah. Anyway, but it was just one aspect of so many positive aspects and then sort of I, I immediately after the trip had sort of the idea okay this should be actually legal I was actually not even the, the first impetus was not that I should make a company because I was very sure people must work on that stuff because it's so powerful and when I then found out actually it took me two years I was looking around like that there was none then we did it ourselves just to go back to that point though you you, you categorize that moment your first trip as the single most meaningful experience of your life yeah today full stop nothing comes close and maybe i would add plus 
the follow-on trips over the last year. So it's not just this one trip, I would say as well, but I would I would I would summarize my psychedelic experience. And I still like try to do a trip once or twice a year in a country where it's legal. Yeah, I would summarize as the most meaningful sort of holistic experience I've had in my life. Full, yeah, for sure. Like, You do this trip um, on the beach with your friends. You, you think to yourself, you know, this must be legal. Fast forward, you get a call from one of your friends called Mike. No, it's way, it's I, I, no, it's way crazier. It's way okay. crazier. Again, super serendipity. So fast forward for two years, I was very, very carefully looking around and actually not telling a lot of people about it, which was wrong. And if I would have gone on like that, I wouldn't sit here again. I Meaning at least not now, I would sit here maybe, maybe, but like not talking about mushrooms or psychedelics. So for two years, I was kind of extremely holding back. So I told my closest friends, actually the ones who knew me very well saw that or positive, like my parents were like, hey, you became an even nicer child. We have an amazing relationship, but it became even better. So my mom was very quickly saying something happened in your holiday. Yeah, I was like, mm, yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, so, so the ones who knew me well, but like I didn't shout it out. And I was actually very, very careful and shy because it's like technically Stigma. yeah and back then by the way let's not forget like we're talking about it also now so easily because all the books came out we have the success like compasses listed like now is completely different than so anyway so for two years i was very like low-key yeah and then i had and again this is like maybe the biggest financial serendipity uh or is there any like message of the universe if you want to see it like that because for two years I was sort of like just telling friends, very close friends. And then I had uh, one other trip within a holiday trip. The main message on that trip was, Christian, this makes you so happy. You have to talk to other people about it. Don't be shy. Just good thing will come out. Things will come out if you talk about it. So I had a real mission. So I got this real mission on that trip to sort of be open about it. And then actually from that holiday... I was flying literally the week after I met a very close friend and business partner of mine, Mike Novogratz, um, who's big in finance. Like, he's huge, huge. Yeah. yeah. So, but he's, he's not, what I want to say, he's not the guy who would talk about mushrooms normally. And I wouldn't have had, but he was my test case because I had the mission. The mission was don't be afraid to talk about management because it's going to be good for you and the world. So I met Mike. And he literally, Mike, he's always like that. What's up? Because I think I do cool stuff like from other stuff. So a lot of friends are always like, hey, what's new? What's up? What are you investing in? I was like, Mike, you won't believe it. I just had a mushroom trip and this was amazing. And I want to talk, tell you about it. And he was like, this, whoa, mushroom. Like I, I remember Mike said the, the sentence, like he hasn't talked about it, hadn't back then. For like 20 years because especially in the US a lot of people it's like a college thing like party joke yeah, uh, and he was like oh, I've 20 years never heard about it again since college so I told him all of my experience on that trip um, and in general or on a trip so and he was like very interested yeah and so the next day literally the next day my phone rings Mike is on it. and actually he said it yeah he said look Christian this is the weirdest coincidence so since 20 years or I haven't talked about psychedelics for 20 years yesterday you were in my office talking about nothing else than psychedelics and this morning my sister or sister so his sister called him so my sister called me and she's on bali with these crazy couple from london 
who told her they want to start a company which is working on bringing magic mushrooms back in the legal realm and they need somebody who's financing them and nobody wants to touch it. Right. And I was like, this is this is such a coincidence. You in London, they in London. Like, yeah. And these are George and Katya, the, the founders of, of Compass. Yeah. And I was like, connect me immediately. And I remember this was January. And then we met when I was back and they were back from Bali in February um, 2017. Yeah. And I... They tell me if we talk about like within the meeting, I was like, okay, we got, we're going to do that together. That's, that's what I've waited for since two years. And again, if I hadn't taken the decision to openly talk about it, um, I wouldn't have told Mike, I wouldn't have met George and Katya. We wouldn't sit here, at least not sit here talking about this one. And the magic mushrooms were the thing that told you to talk exactly. about it. So. The trip. And you, you end up being, you know, the single biggest investor in the space, a space which is now really sort of main, becoming more mainstream at an alarming rate, uh, a sort of a category that's exploded from a financial perspective. Um, and you've, you've, you've co-founded and invested in two, the two biggest sort of companies in this area, Atai and Compass Pathways. Exactly. So practically I've co-founded both. And Compass, I was more the seed investor because it was George's and Katya's idea. And I added actually a very close friend of mine, Lars, as the third co-founder, and I was the seed investor. But sort of I was there mm -hmm. even before the company existed. We were sitting in my, in my living room and planning it. And then when I realized how positive or it was actually easier is the wrong word, but it was sort of I had, I had expected more hurdles. Yeah. And it's maybe sadly actually the time which is helping us because there are so many people suffering and it becomes sort of also financially. Sometimes life is very, the world functions very pragmatic. Like in the in the moment, something becomes a big crisis also financially. Yeah. The, mm -hmm. yeah um, and it the creates regulators, it, yeah, So yeah. anyway, whatever it was, it was the right time. So Compass quickly actually got FDA um, fast track designation, which was a big thing, stuff like that. So, and then I actually realized, oh, there are more psychedelics out there than, meaning everybody's always almost using magic mushrooms and psychedelics as the same, but like we have the headline psychedelics, a group of drugs and psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms is one of them. So there are more of them from MDMA to LSD, ketamine, ibogaine, whatever. And, and Compass wanted always to focus on, um, on psilocybin. So I was like, okay, then I'm starting a tie as sort of a platform where we actually bring on more, uh, more of these compounds to explore them for mental health issues. Of all the compounds in a tie, and I know there's a lot of them, right? I think you've got over 13 compounds, different yeah. psychedelic compounds within a tie. Um, we've talked a lot about ma magic mushrooms and that the active compound in magic mushrooms for anybody that doesn't know is psilocybin, which is what Compass Pathway does. Of all the others, and I know this is like, I've heard you say before, this is like choosing your favorite child. Which ones of the psychedelic compounds is incredibly compelling to you and really stands out is being able to have a really significant impact? That's really hard to say. I really mean it because like it really, meaning because they all have, all, all compounds we work on have a sort of reason to exist or positive, like have a, have a place in treating mental health issues, hopefully. Tell me about Ibogaine then. Yeah, so so then now it, what I want to say is, the question is, what is your, what, what 
does somebody see as the biggest problem? So name me the problem you think is the worst. And then I tell you sort of which drug is the best, like kind of so. So, so I think ibogaine is, this, is, is interesting because also because ibogaine goes against addiction and there is actually almost nothing else which works for addiction. So addiction, we talk about here severe addiction, like especially to opioids and heroin is sort of, I don't know if you can say it on English podcast, like you're really fucked up. Like it's like, that's one of the really severe mental stuff, like where most people have a, how you call it, like a relapse. Relapse, relapse. Yeah. like, it, and then you, it's also one of these sort of things, if you look at, I don't know, families and friends where somebody is addicted, sort of, it's very like, it's a like cancer in, 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 in the social mm-hmm. environment. So it's sort of, it's, it's, but it's, but I would even say any mental health is like, it's always affecting others as well. But I think addiction sort of stands out in a certain way. And ibogaine is the only drug we know, which potentially, I always have to say with all these drugs, potentially, because we are about to prove it once and for all with scientific terms or with scientific framework, FDA sort of uh, compliant, but ibogaine has the potential to really cure addiction with one trip. Yeah, and that would be a massive game changer for the whole opioid crisis. Uh, but even alcohol addiction, like it's not just opioids, like, uh, yeah, and yeah. You know, you're trying to you're trying to make people's lives better, right? You're trying to get them. It almost seems like you know because you've you've been gifted enough to be happy your whole life. You you're doing a lot to make sure other people can be happy on one end. But the other thing that you're doing, which also kind of blew my mind when I met you, is trying to extend life. You know, you've got Elon who's like trying to save life on Earth, but also take us to a new one. And it seems like you know, a pyre on your investment company is trying to make the life we live more joyous and fulfilled, but also trying to extend it. And the work you're doing with life longevity, I actually find maybe even more bonkers. <laughs> like when I first heard about psychedelics, I was like, really? And then I spent six months, nine months learning and I was like, oh my God, like I get it. But life longevity for me is like, really? We can really, we can really extend our lives. And you're, you've got companies which are working on that challenge. So tell me about life longevity. Is it possible? I well okay let's so 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 let's phrase it correctly like because even I if I want to sort of some, say something very um pokey I'm like oh we're going to live forever yeah that's not going to happen for an accident reason I meaning yes you could say maybe we live forever if we really upload our brain to our computer but that not that I think that's completely impossible but I think then we're not human anymore that's a different discussion like so but I would say as long as we stay fairly human, meaning having a body, having sort of the human setup we have, yeah, there will always be an end. Let's start there. Because the worst case, if you live hundreds of years, you're going to have an accident somewhere somebody blows you up. You have a, by the way, it's going to, as a side note, I think it's going to change once we get older and older, it's going to change the way how we look at risk. Because... I already start avoiding crazy stuff because I'm like, it's not worth it. Again, risk return. Like I have this one colleague I always try to convince he's 50 and he drives a motorbike. And I'm like, you shouldn't do it. Like the sort of statistical risk is so big of driving a motorbike. And his answer is, well, because he's still thinking his his life expectancy is 70. He's like, well, but I'm exchanging 20 years if it happens against my biggest passion. And this is a trade-off worth it. And I was like, well, a, it's already stupid, but if you, if you, it's okay. If you, this is your opinion, 20 years against the risk of losing it. 
But I tell you, like, it's not 20. You already, if you're 50, I'm going to get you up or we're going to get you up with longevity science to maybe 90 or 100, by the way, in a good way. So would you exchange 50? And then suddenly you see, okay, then he starts thinking because, so, and now thinking a little bit further, like if you say, hey, our natural life experience, someone will be 200. Maybe we stop doing stuff we're doing now because it could sort of, yeah. So, but back to your question, like longevity never means immortality because, Again, as long as we stay kind of human, because there is an accident risk. Yeah. By the way, I also believe spiritually again that we don't want to live forever. I think part of being human, again, as long as we stay that, and we can talk about that as well, because it's another thing I'm thinking a lot. Maybe we don't stay human in our current form, but as long so, I think to part of being human is having an end. Because that makes everything we do. Yeah. yeah. So I just don't want it now. Like I want to have more of it. But I think the the sort of the limit that there is a time limit on being human is actually which makes us thrive. Yeah. And which makes us everything special. Everything special. So I don't think I want to take that away. I just want to extend the the joy. Yeah. Doesn't it just become relative again then? So if you live to 150. But wait. So so what I really believe what we get in the next maybe like 30, 20 to 30. It's come, it's, I think it's going to come way quicker than people think is that we're going to get life expectancy up to, to a time or to a, to, a, to, a, to a size, to a magnitude where we want to die. And I think it's even like this will be a range and some people might already say, we've hundred, I had it all. I had enough birthdays, enough um, Christmases. And I'm so... Some people want to maybe live to 300, but I think we're going to give people that optionality sooner than we think. And then I think dying will be like, this is my vision, like it's a celebration. I would someone say, look, guys, I had it all. I love you, love life, but I really think I'm ready for whatever comes. Maybe it comes nothing. I don't know, but like I have an expectation, but like, yeah, but whatever it is, I'm going to finish it now. Throw a big party, say goodbye to everybody, and then go out on my own terms, on my own time. I think that's going to be sooner than we think you whispered that i have an expectation well i think there is another life like i think it's a continuous uh, cycle but that's now a spiritual question like but like i i very much believe we have an eternal soul yeah i don't even think there is a number but first of all I, again i come back which gives me a lot of thing i don't believe in the christian thing that we have anything to prove that's already starts because it means you're not worthy and you have to prove yourself worthy like it's like you i think everybody should be deeply happy and do exactly what he, he or she feels is the right thing to do now, by the way. Again, this is, I think, what people realize on the, on the psychedelics. is like they, I always like to say, like, which is maybe a good way to describe a psychedelic trip. Like, since we're young, and again, maybe my parents were like better than other parents in avoiding that. But since we're a baby, people start telling us what we should do, what we should not do how we should be, how we should think, how we should be. So, and I always say like, there is your soul somewhere, like <laughs> what the form of your soul is like, <laughs> but there is somewhere the level of you. And again, the problem is when we have this discussion and what I want to avoid why I'm sometimes so blurry is that if you start using religious terms, then some people might be set off mm-hmm. yeah, or pushed away. Because if I use the word soul or God, then uh, a Christian person might have a different reaction than a Muslim person, than a, um, than a Hindu person, yeah. Interestingly, a lot of people who went through psychedelics have sort of the same description because so, so anyways, it's by trying to use 
as neutral worlds as possible. So let's call it soul or inner you or whatever. And then you have all these sort of external sort of um, garbage almost what other people put on you. Yeah. And, and I think some people literally lose sight what they really are and want. So, and I think it was always very good. So what I realized under my trip that sort of, so what happens under a trip, sort of all this garbage is taken away. So mm. you really look at you, but you and your real naked sort of form, like form me, I mean, like you recognize yourself, all your fears, all your wishes, all your whatever. Yeah. And interestingly, it was, for me, it was still a great experience, but it was not so different. So, which told mm. me, okay, I did a good job before psychedelics to sort of be, again, true to myself. And I, I don't believe in what, what some faiths uh, say that, that, oh, you have to be worthy because you are worthy. Yeah. And you are great. You just should live the life as sort of it is fit for you. And again, this is for everybody, it's different, but you need to know it. Yeah. So, so, but to come back, so this is my belief. And then, I, so, and be, so, so there is no, okay, I have, it's not like a computer game where you have to reach a level and do certain things and then come to the next one. I just think it's like an endless positive sort of cycle of experiences. Yeah. So, and I'm definitely know that somewhere I'm going to want to go to, to the next yeah, level is the wrong word to the next experience. Yeah. Um, but for now, I want to actually extend this one. A lot of people don't get to live, and this is what I was thinking, is like this, this idea that people will get to a point in their life where they say, do you know what, I've had enough, this has been great. I, would you, do you genuinely believe you'll get to a point where maybe 150, whatever, yeah. where you think? I think someone it's going to happen. Like I, maybe it's very late, meaning I hope. For, but again, I think this is the ultimate, meaning I'm already pissed about the government interfering in, in my stuff in any way. But the biggest interference is death. It's not my, I don't choose the time. I don't choose like, and we need to change that. So I think the biggest sort of liberty everybody has will be choosing his or her own death. But you'll always be curious. The world will always be changing. Well, There'll always great. be then something. I go on like a long time. I, 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 I'm trying to understand if I, be, if I genuinely believe that Christian Angermeyer will ever get to a point where he's bored because you're such a curious. That, but it's great if that is the case. I really don't know. Like, meaning, but I'm just saying, I, I believe like, Again, I think there is a moment everybody will come to that. Maybe it's very, very great. Like I'm working on it. Like, and you don't think death is a nat is a, especially at that age, is it like a natural thing? I hear you talking about it as a, as a bug or as a disease or something. Well, that, that's. I would say definitely aging is a disease. Something is wrong. So something is. I know how the twenty-year-old Christian looked and was and felt. And by the way, my DNA is the same like it was when I was born, like it was when I was 20, like it's now. But something of the same DNA, it's like a little bit, we know how the house, it's the construction plan of the house, it's the same. And some why the sort of minions who, who translate the construction plan into the building, yeah, change it and not to the better from age 20 on like i get gray hair whatever like so but we know still it is there like the original source of information is there our dna so we just need to find out it's super simplified what changes the translation of our dna into mistakes and into what we call aging yeah that's a very simplified few but it shows you that it's not so natural 
Yeah, because it's not that your DNA is, if, if it would be natural, maybe your DNA would change. We'd say we can't change that. Yeah, but it's not. Like your DNA is the same till you die. Like, so we just need to make sure that the translation happens like when you were 20. So by the way, I deeply believe not just that we can slow down and stop aging, we can reverse it. Because again, I know how Stephen, I mean, you are still obviously at your prime. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I know how Christian in his primes looked like. And, uh, in your prime. yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. And we can bring it back. So, some, some so anim- yeah. I was going to say, some animals live for a couple of days, though. So, I, I take, like, I look at, take an evolutionary perspective on this and think, like, you know, there's some, like, flies that live for, like, four days, but it's enough but time. But maybe for- we are there at the moment to escape the evolutionary velocity. Maybe that's the pinnacle where we sort of start becoming. And I know, because I don't mean it, like, in a blasphemic way, I think we're meant to be, like, gods in our own way. Yeah. And we start now to go to the sort of source and construction of life ourselves and i think that's an enormously curious thing and like yeah maybe that's what we meant to be i'm rather on the positive side this is not blasphemy or whatever but this is like what god set us up for so to say by the way every single religion it's a very fun nobody ever i don't think i love by the way uh and you know we can't say today that there is a big thing coming out about religion and, and science of religion, but I always loved that. I'm always was finally drawn to the mystical side and the religious side. And aside of what we discussed on like, what I call spiritual side, I was always, always very interested in the history of religions. Um, and interestingly, a one sad, actually, happy and sad observation is that in the very core, all religions are the same. They all preach the same good stuff, be nice, be nice to others. And then once they become an organization, the shit starts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, and also one, what most religions have, just going through, but mo- yeah, literally most religions have the big ones is that they, at the very beginning say that we are a part and a mirror, or what's um, the English term, that we are an image of God. Mm-hmm. And we don't talk about that because now everybody's like, oh, if you, if you want to live forever, well, a lot of people, again, if you want to defy aging, and there are a lot of people that, oh, you want to play God. Yeah, this is sort of the- The, the rebuttals. The, the real, and I was like, but maybe that's what we meant to be, because if I go to the Bible, it says we are the image of God. So maybe we are meant to play God, because that's what we are, in a, in a philosophical way. So I don't think it's not ethically at all. I think it's the ultimate, actually, challenge we have to solve. Yeah. Um, the other rebuttal I would I thought the first time I heard about the the possibility of extending life was that you know we'd have a really aging po- population where we'd all be so it's interesting you talk about reversing aging but we'd all be 170 and slightly like you know slow it doesn't and make any it doesn't make medically or uh, sense we won't be 150 and super old it doesn't make sense you can't extend lifespan that much without rejuvenation. It comes at this, thanks God, and nobody wants to be like, because by the way, that's what most people fear though, why they, it's interesting how many people reject the idea of living very long. It's not forever, like living very long, but the, one of the very banal reasons is that they automatically think, okay, if Christian would succeed in making us live till 150, they take, okay, I know a 90-year-old granny from of mine and she's not in good shape and now they add another 60 years and they're like, no, that's not what I want. Quality yeah. of life. But, that, exactly, but that's not what's going to happen. In the moment we can push life expectancy way further than 90, it, it goes hand in hand with rejuvenation. And then it, more people want it. And what time frame do you expect? I think we're going to see 
step really really tangible steps forward the next 20 years yeah and then let's say 20 to 40 later stay by the way which is not that far yeah and um and also um the um this going to change society meaning everything and interestingly every politician i talk to thinks like well that's far away and i was like no nah, it's not it's not that so far away than you think and like it's going to affect us sooner and we need to talk about it about about social systems about anything yeah uh, this is going to be one of the massive black but I, not in a negative way by the way i think it's going to be good but like i'm an eternal optimist like um but like in a it will be a massive change for the world. Wait, well, let me drink this delicious drink. <laughs> <laughs> What's it called? <laughs> sure, I put it like in a commercial and uh, we should like leave that in. It's like, hopefully it's better. Hul? Hul. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Human like fuel. fuel. Human ah. fuel. Okay, it's a very good name. Yeah, it's a very good Who name. Who came up with that name? Julian Hearn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so switching, because in fact, the, the topic, the topics of conversation we've discussed are super interesting. But personally, the things that I find most fascinating about you are your just like ridiculous, ridiculous work ethic. And I've talked to oh. some of your friends. I spoke to Aaron. I spoke to people around you just to confirm what I thought. And the intensity and the amount you work, I think is just like staggering. I think I'm really hardworking. I've seen you in action around the clock over the weekend the fact that we're doing this on a saturday i don't normally record the podcast on well, saturday. it's a hobby it's like it's like having fun it's not like work but okay i know it yeah my point is about you know in culture people talk about this term work-life balance and i think you've kind of responded to it there very easy there shouldn't be a work-life balance there should just be one continuous hobby that's my view on it people should love what they do in a way obviously you do different things and i love more things so but like there i I always said since I'm 16 or actually 14, since I have my tutoring, if I would call it work-life balance, then I have a shitty life <laughs> because it's just work. But my work is my life and I love it and it's integrated. And most of my friends I work with and like, even like friends who didn't, this is how I came to the movie business because just like I had friends who were actors and were in a movie business. And then I was like, maybe we should work together. Maybe we should finance a movie. Like, it's like... Yeah, I don't want to see it as a separation. separation. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. Let's talk about more personal things. So relationships. How does someone who works as hard as you find any t I'm, I'm presuming you value what relationships can bring you well complicated topic is yeah, work in progress well, yeah. like, <laughs> welcome to the uh, podcast exactly, <laughs> the diary exactly. oh no <laughs> uh now it's like uh no that that's work in progress so that's like uh because obviously like i'm so much in love with my work that 
um, that it's always, it's hard, I think, for another person, although I think I can try to be very uplifting because I would try to say the same. What I told you is like, I would tell every partner, like you have to find, you can't expect from me to get, give you meaning. You need to give yourself meaning and then we can be happy together. Yeah. But I, this is unfortunately not how a lot of people work. Like, so it's very easy that sort of. I have a quote on Instagram, my best performing quote ever. It says, um, if we're dating, I want to be your second priority. I want your first priority to be you, your passions, your future. If we're happy alone, we'll be happier together. Yeah, that's a lot of me. So, yeah. And I'm happy alone, by the way. Yeah. I, I, I'm also like an introvert extrovert. So people think I'm very extrovert and I can be, and I want to be like, can, I like to host parties and dinners and do things like that. But then I want to be alone actually a lot. So do you value and tell me the value of a relationship in your view? of like a really good committed relationship? Do you value it? That's a complicated question. So, um, because, because if I say no, it sounds brutal. And What's it, the I truth? Don't, no, no, and I don't mean it. Like, I, I, I think it's more, the answer is more complicated. So I build myself that I, that I'm sort of very like independently. So, so I value relationships a lot. So that's the real answer, but I, I'm not in the concept that one should stand out. So I rather have groups. So I, I believe that, or I believe like I do have like 10, but not one, like 10 very, very close friends who most of them I have since a very long time. I actually extremely value relations, but I'm not saying, okay, there is this one relation in my life, which will completely stand out from the rest, which is maybe a, um, a complicated thing for relationships. I do think, though, this will change once you get children. Yeah, so which I want. So that's sort of the, yeah. Um, and I, by the way, I also do think people change. Like, and, um, and I don't think the core of you changes and like the core, but like you can make adjustments. So I know, for example, that when I want children or once I have children, that I have to make adjustments because... I just want children if they have the same happy childhood that I had. So I want to be either no dad or a great dad. Yeah. So, and then I know I need to make adjustments. So, but then it's worth it. And then it's my active decision to take it. How is it? You are the busiest person I know. I was just thinking then, I was thinking, is this the busiest person I know? You probably, you're the busiest person I know, I'd say. Have you struggled to have romantic relationships because of that busyness? Um, I feel like in a like a interrogation of Kurt. Kurt what did you I, think yeah. was going to happen here? <laughs> yes, this is what it's. No. This is these are the things no one talks about, right? And True. I sit here single, struggling. Yeah. So I'm like, I'll ask Christian because he's way busier, uh, and I'm struggling. So is there any hope for Steve? <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, there's hope for all of us. Be positive. It's funny. It's funny. Uh, this feels like a bit more of an uncomfortable topic for you. For some reason, no, it's just very private. It's not uncomfortable. Okay. I will tell you my views in private easier because okay. okay. like, yeah. um, there's hundred thousand people watching. Exactly, hundred thousand people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> now it's getting really, like cringy. Um, no, it, it is definitely a problem. Full stop. Like, yeah, and you realize that you're going to have to adjust. At if some I, point, yeah, if, if you I want, want to, to. If you then, yeah, yeah, and then you always say like, okay, you do that. The, the, the issue is like, what I'm thinking a lot. How do you know when to adjust? Like in terms of, because you would say, romantically you would say you adjust when the right one comes. How do you know that the right one comes if you don't have time to figure out to the right? Mm. There is these a little bit, and I haven't figured that fully out. 
you're someone looking at the past 40 years of your life that does whatever he wants to do and isn't actually very good at adjusting unwillingly. You, you've never been good in your life story at doing something unwillingly. Exactly. It's no, it's always exactly, yeah. You go the way Christian wants to go. And it, I just, I wonder, I'm like, when will, what will be the catalyst? You said kids may be there, but what will be the catalyst that makes Christian adjust? But maybe it's a romantic thing you really like love at first sight. I mean, again, the good thing is that I, I deeply believe that makes me very calm in that coming back to what we had. This I, I deeply believe it's going to come at the right time. And I know that I'm sort of enough open for it because it's the same like with business ideas or the same with other stuff in my life. Again, if you're open, open heart, open mind, you're going to see it when it comes. So it's not, it's a little bit like with anything else that like, you don't have negative thoughts. Don't think, oh, I need it now. Like, yeah, so it comes when it comes. Like, because everything in my life came at the right time. Why not this one? So I'm very, that's how I see it. Well, I guess at the macro level, the most. And by the way, if in the moment things came, I can just say now business stuff, but like, again, business is my life. Like, when psychedelics came and then the business, meaning that's sort of very, a big part of my time allocation over the last, like four or five years was in the, into the psychedelic business, I made space for it. And so I'm always like, it's not, again, when things comes, you realize that you, you realize the message and then you make space for it. But there's a chance, you said, that you might be obstructing it from coming and happening because you're so preoccupied with... No, I'm thinking about that, but then my conclusion is then usually that, or is, because again, like I'm, because romance is maybe, but it's not maybe, it's maybe not like finding a good company. Maybe that sounds now very, um, very non-romantic, but I don't mean it's romantic because I also think finding companies is very romantic or very, very uh, emotional. Yeah. Uh, if I look, for example, at the psychedelic business, I think that, but I do actively, again, it's not that I'm ignoring, it's what I said before, my, my, my philosophy of not having negative thoughts doesn't mean that you cannot analyze sort of stuff and sort of look on the risky side. So I do think about it, is my life how I lead it? maybe preventing to have sort of the one and only romantic um, experience. Yeah. My conclusion is then mostly that I'm like, okay, no, because like it will come at the right time and then you're going to realize it and then you're going to make space. Like you make, like I make space for everything else. It's so funny because you, because you're such an eternal optimist, I almost can't get you to. But that's how it works. Bad <laughs> things happen to me as well. Bad things are there but my mind twists it around or twists like, this is what I'm really training since I'm 14, since I, I bought tell. the book in I Munich. Like every, throw, it to me in a, to, yeah. throw it to me a negative thing. And I'm, I may be a little bit puzzled for a second or for example, yeah, even like, this is how it works. Like things, even if things in our portfolio don't go well, I'm like a little bit like shaken for a moment. And I'm like, where's the good thing? And how can I turn that in my mind? How can I see the upside? Yeah. It's fascinating. Because, yeah, I'm trying to get you to, you know, the reason why I started this podcast is because I, sometimes I want to highlight that for all the great things people see that, you know, there'll be people watching you thinking, I would want to be, have all these companies and manage you know, two billion of assets and all these things. But there's always a, there's always a, some kind of down, not downside, but sacrifice, we could say, that's happening. And I'm trying to get at where that sacrifice is. And th the problem is you are happy. So, and you're pursuing yourself. So it's hard to identify a sacrifice when you're that optimistic. No, no, no. 
exactly. I know what you mean. I just try also as a message not to see it. Like I, I think people yeah, shouldn't see it because that's the negative story about success. The negative story of, about success is that people see people and say, "Oh, I want to be like them. Yeah, I would like to have the wealth. I would like to have X, Y, Z." Then they can't immediately have it because, by the way, it's a long process and you need to work harder. But I, and then they tell it, oh, they must have gone through a lot of sacrifice. Yeah. And then this is a little bit what calms them down. Oh, they, they, they have a lot of bad stuff like coming with it. I think that's the wrong way to look at it for both sides. Like, I think the right way to look at it should like, do I really want that? Is this really what makes me happy? Yeah. And then it's, by the way, not that easy to, meaning everybody would say like, oh yeah, it's like simplified, money makes me happy. But then again, do you make it happy what comes with it? But I don't want to call it a sacrifice because I wouldn't do it if I would have to sacrifice stuff in order to get money because it's not about money anyway, by the way. Money from a certain moment on is not really... The driving force. There, there is, there is, a, there is a, meaning there is great research. It's not money. It's like that for, from practically zero to X, money gives you happiness because it makes your life easier. So, but then somewhere you're not going to spend it because somewhere it becomes a figure. Mm. Yeah. And then it's about, do you love what you do? Yeah. So latest then. Yeah. But like, so, so I don't, people should see not this, you can't see, I don't know, wealth or anything separated from the, the process of how you got there. Yeah. And then it's not about saying, oh, the process was hard and sacrifice. It's like, is the whole process what I love doing? Then you should throw, you throw it in, or is it something else what I love? And then you should not though envy other people because that makes you miserable as well. Mm. You should always embrace what, the problem is people often don't know what they really want. Yeah. And then again, psychedelics give you like, but like in the moment you embrace what you really want and maybe like, like a housewife maybe really loves it. It's not something where she should say, oh, I'm just a housewife and somebody else is a big entrepreneur. Maybe that's what she really wants in this life. She maybe wants to have children, take care of them and take care of them in exactly the way. But it's about knowing that actively, not letting other people mm. put you in that position or let circumstances put you in that position, but like actively know yourself is that what makes you happy yeah i've written about this at length in the book this idea that like um but obviously the huge force in our lives at the moment which whispers in our ear that we want to be something else is like social media and so society it'll say mm. you've got to be a doctor your mum might say or instagram will say you've got to be a billionaire and really you just want to be an artist that dances in croatia you know what i mean exactly like embrace it but again you need to know it like by the way i think as much as i love tech that's one of the other topics which which really like sort of how you say Keep really? me away at yeah, but keep me away at night is something in the world we live in, or actually uh, s something in the world we are building because we we reconstructing the world in any form. And people, I think, have no no real glimpse yet how crazy this will be. Yeah, we're going now. People think we were in like a twenty year of tech boom, which is true on the one side. But if you're really honest, and there's this famous quote, which I love to use from Peter Thiel, who said, we wanted flying cars and we got 140 characters on Twitter, yeah? Which says practically, if you look at the last 20 years, yes, we had a tech boom, but more or less, I'm simplifying, yeah? The, the, what changed is the distribution of goods, Amazon. Now we're not shopping anymore, we're getting it delivered, but it's still the same goods, yeah? Mm. Um, and... Um, 
social media it changed communication changed but we didn't go to the fabric of society industry and ourselves so now we're starting going to reformulate and rechange the fabric of ourselves longevity we're going to really make not just five years again maybe with 100 which change everything we change and this is all interdependent and in a moment we change the fabric of our body or then we change the fabric of society because society is very much linked to an 80 year life expectancy yeah flying cars are now really coming literally we have mm. fly yeah we have flying cars now so, yeah we're gonna go to mars somewhere and it's gonna happen Maybe 20, maybe it's going to happen. So the world is going to change like we have never seen it before. So, and I love it. Yeah. And you love it. Yeah, and maybe even the people who watch that love it because otherwise they maybe wouldn't watch it. But like the majority of people doesn't. Yeah. So, and I think that's one of the underlying reasons which makes the society more and more depressive or mental health. Because like, I think there is this enormous fear um, and people often have like, I think, it's a, another word for gut feeling. Like you have, you can't really explain it what makes you nervous, but it makes you nervous. And I think that's what's happening. So I think the sort of the world as a whole, except of some eternal optimists and some techies, yeah, are like, yeah, maybe I like a single piece. I like my iPhone. I like that. But as an entirety, that makes me deeply uncomfortable. The race yeah. of change around exactly. you. Exactly, yeah. So, and even if they don't know it, the bus driver maybe can't fully explain how a self-driving bus will work, but somewhere he feels that in 10 years, it's not mm. going to be his job anymore. Yeah. And I think that creates a lot of risk because the last time that happened, that was when we changed from the agricultural society to the, um, to the industrial society. Yeah, and you can say now we changed from the industrial society to let's call it data society. We need a word yeah. for it, but we're changing yeah. and changing in a massive way. So, and then, so there are a lot of parallels of the time between 1875 and 1920. The people were, there was this elite technically who said everything is possible. You had, um, it was, I think it was in 1870, but I don't know. Something when, uh, when the Eiffel Tower was built, there was these, uh, what is it called? World exhibition. Like, yeah. And people were like, oh my God. I mean, there was Jules Verne, but it was also around the time. And hopefully I spell him right in English. Like he wrote all these books, yeah, like the sci-fi books. Yeah. So the world was already there once. Unfortunately, we had then two world wars. Mm. Yeah. And you can look at a lot of reasons why World War One and Two happened. And there is a lot of different layers of, um, of, of reasons, but, I believe that the main reason is this sort of disenfranchisement of the agricultural society who were deeply panicky, like what's happening to the world, because the world, the farmer yeah, in the 19th century knew was disappearing in, in, in front of his eyes. Yeah? And it's exactly happening the same again. So couldn't there, could there not be a re another reason linked to that why people are be becoming depressed in the technological evolution? Because, you know, at the start of this podcast, you said about the importance of nature. And I've read studies about, you know, prisoners who, who face who face nature versus a brick wall are 30% less likely to be depressed. And the, the, the sort of very human prehistoric origin of the human being is one that's in nature. It's one that's in a tribe. It has meaningful connections. And the technological revolution is ridding, you know, I now live between four white walls alone in a big gray city. Could that also not be part of the reason why people are, we're getting less human than ever. And in fact, what I, what I like about, you know, when I read about some of the social reasons why people are getting more depressed, it's because we're getting further and further away from being human. 
this is maybe a little bit more philosophical, but like, mm. if you look at like the things that help with mental health, some typically it's, it's meaningful connection, it's nature, totally. yep. it's good diet, no more junk. And these are all things that humans did 10,000 years ago. It's like, we, we have to go back to find ourselves again. Or we have to find our human place in a world which is changing. So mm. yes, so I, I, do, I do think a lot, how can we stay human in a world which is changing that crazily as it does? Which wants robots. It's like the, this world now would appreciate if I was a robot, more productive. No, I, I, you know? I, no, I think we can adjust. And I, by the way, and I know it needs like, and I'm saying that with all the disclaimers, it's not legal right now. And I'm always coming back to that. But I do think someone psychedelics will be will be the medication for that because it keeps us in a certain way very human but mm. it at the same time makes us very adaptive in our environment um so that so i, I give you is more or less the same what you said so how i see what do humans need to be happy i think it's three things it's some form of faith and i explain it in a second so it's faith it's purpose and it's love it's super cheesy what I'm saying now, but like these are the three things which I, I think make us as a, as, as, as a, the, the combination of these three things make, make us happy. Then I think, let's go, go through it. So faith means any form of um, higher meaning or the other way around. I think being atheist or believing literally in a materialistic world where if you die, you're dead and then you rot, yeah, makes people very unhappy. This is not a, Again, many I made, I think, the case that I believe in in more. But like, let's, it's not even a case. It's just like saying, like, factually, I think people need that. We need, this is why every society ever developed a religion. Like, I think we need it. Why? Because we're terrorized of dying. We don't admit it. I admit it. I don't want to age. Aging sucks. Dying sucks. And even worse, by the way, dying of people I love sucks. So, and we don't talk about it. We completely pushed it away from us, Yeah. And I believe religion always gave people that sort of calmness or a little bit of a calmness that as death is not the end, you're going to see people again, people you love, whatever. So, and I think it's important because otherwise you have this permanent terror of death in your head and you might not have been it, but you have. Second point is purpose. What I said with the bus, bus driver, people need a purpose. Yeah. And they need to know why they wake up in the morning and, um, and um, what they're doing. So having said that, uh, in front of our very eyes at the moment, like the, these, these things are dissolving that the purposes. So we need to find new ones. And the most important is we need love. And in a cheesy way, it must not be a one-on-one -on -one relationship, but it could be could be a one-on-one -on -one relationship, could be a family, could be a close friend, could be a community. Yeah. So love on various levels. So and actually the bad thing is, if you look at where the world is going at the moment, all these three things are dissolved. So face is on a super decline. Yeah. Mm. Um, then purpose is on a decline because we're changing the world and most people don't find their purpose immediately there. And then unfortunately also communities are on decline, traditional family structures, but also communities. Meaning if I remember, if I grew up, I had like, what do you call it in English? When you go to like a theater group and I had yeah. 10 groups, like it was all like, it was, it was the sort of the pinnacle of a community. We were so, and it was great. Yeah. And I don't think if you have that anymore in that way, yeah. Or at least it's sort of vanishing. Yeah, no, statistically so, yeah. accurate. There's a study in the US which says um, 15 years ago, people would respond to the question, how many people can you turn to in time of crisis? The medium answer was three. It's now zero. Crazy. Like I had 10 when I was young. 
And psychedelics are giving you that. All of that. They're giving you faith, spirituality. They're giving you purpose because you, you, re, you realize that the purpose lies within you and you can reinvent yourself. And they're giving you love because you realize the value of connections, whatever. I read tons of things, and this is a bit of a sideway, but I read it. Great. No, it's really great. Like, what is great? I love it. Like, <laughs> he's talking about the Huel he's drinking. It's good. I will send you a big box of it. There's different flavors. This one's berry. So we'll send you this flavor as well. But it's also really good for you. It's the reason I'm in the best shape of my life. I read something really interesting, which again, goes against a couple of narratives I would expect from you. You said you have 42 pills a day. Roundabout. Is someone that doesn't want to mess with the, their equilibrium is having forty-two different pills a day? Well, no, no, well, yeah, but it's it's not a it's cocaine. Not a, I'm joking. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, it's like um, is someone going to put it online because so many people ask. Like, so I um, first of all, I think everything we take, we eat, is an active decision. So I like so if you remember, like before the the the. Um, the podcast, yeah. The podcast, I was looking at it because I wanted to know what is in it. Like, and there is a, seems to be a lot of good stuff in it, yeah. So so I don't, I'm not in a camp where people say, oh, vitamins or any form of, of added stuff is bad because I'm like, everything I eat is something external going in my body, yeah. So, and then my view on, on aging at the moment is, at the moment, there is unfortunately, we're working on it hard, yeah, but there is nothing which really slows down aging dramatically, yeah, dramatically, or uh, and or, or even reverses it. However, there are things which give you a little bit of an edge. Yeah, and the edge is not big. Yeah, but unfortunately, I'm not twenty anymore. If I would be twenty, which uh, then I would say, hey, no, then then the optionality would be super easy. If I would be twenty now and I tell that my godchildren, I don't believe it, they're ten. I'm like, you're gonna live for hundreds of years. Yeah. So I'm unfortunately, fortunately, because I still have the opportunity. And again, my decision was like, I want to work on it because I think I do it better than others. Yeah. And I'd rather trust myself than wait <laughs> than others doing it. Seriously. Like, but like, I'm like, okay, but I'm, I'm at the borderline, like, because I need to hurry up. So, so even if I do something now at the moment, which gives me statistically two more years, that's two more years, like, yeah, in a, in a race. Yeah. Tell so, me what these things are. Well, I think the Because I'm 20, so I'd like to. <laughs> yes. So I think there are some, some easy things to do. Like um, the, uh, for example, sleep is super important. Yeah. Then. Um, Why? Why sleep important? For, I mean, you could talk, we could, you, could, you should do, I told you that like, you should do a podcast just about sleep. Yeah. I sleep expert on huh? last two weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, you had, so it's perfect. Like, there's so many reasons, but sleep is one of the core things. We don't fully understand it yet, but like, who has practically, if you, I I don't know the exact number, but read Why We Sleep from Matthew Walker. Like, I think if you, if you if you sleep two, three hours less than you should for some days, your immune system is collapsing. If your immune system is collapsing, that your probability of cancer goes up. And I mean, sleep has so many, neg good sleep is so good for you and neg too little sleep has so many negative consequences that, so sleep is super important. So I try to sleep enough. For example, I try, that's one of the luxury things, uh, which I can do because I work for myself, that I don't have early morning meetings. So, and I have always something to do, like emails, whatever, but I try that I can wake up naturally. So I never wake up with an alarm clock as unless I need to fly or whatever. Yeah. So, um, so that's one thing. Then obviously no alcohol. Alcohol is a, is a, is a, is toxic, like full stop. Cigarettes, all, all drugs except of psychedelics are toxic. Yeah. So don't do them. Yeah. Very bad for aging. Yeah. You see that by the way, when people like, yeah, um, I don't want to 
say now that I'm aged well, but like if I go to a class reunion or whatever, like some people who drank very a lot of alcohol and eat shit, yeah, they look older. Like, yeah, it's like, so, so the, the say is, yeah, food, like intake, be healthy, don't carbs, like sugar is super bad. Like I think so. So I don't want to go. Yes, I do 42 pills or whatever it is. Yeah. And meaning it's, uh, I mean, the list would be long. I mean, maybe again, maybe I put it somewhere online, but I think the message is because if people jump from zero to 42 pills, they won't do it anyway. So whoever listens now, I would say, if you do the three, four, five things, which sort of, it's these 80, 20 rules. I'm trying to carve out the last 20%, but go for the sort of the easy, hard and easy first. Sleep, healthy food, exercise is super important. Must not be super hard exercise, but like every day, like 20, 30 minutes of mild to medium exercise. As I said, no drugs, no alcohol, whatever. Um, these are the main ones. You're going to be significantly healthier. And I heard you talk about intermittent fasting. Yes. Oh, sorry. Intermittent fasting is one. Yes. So I try not to eat for 16, 18 hours a day, every day. And once you start doing it, you you sort of... You Why? Why do you do that? Why do you intermittently fast? I've always been curious about it. I've never done it. Uh, because it's very healthy. I mean, there are enough, a lot of health benefits. Your, your blood sugar level sort of normalizes, which has then sort of a lot of... Um, follow on effects. Yeah. It's also, you, you lose weight. It's a very simple, like, yeah. Um, I am, um, I actually only have one other thing that I wanted to ask you about. I mean, I, I don't, I have a million things, but in the interest of time, it was about Bitcoin. Yep. You, you've, you've been a big investor in Bitcoin and the future of Bitcoin, you're bullish. Super bullish. Because what I think is like the, all politicians from left and right, from, from any part of the spectrum, and by the way, I think about it a lot. I think maybe it's not even a, a stupid decision what they took, but like all politicians decided that money printing is the thing to go. Yeah. So we're going to see this massive devaluation of fiat money. And never before, again, I, I really love history. And normally this happened to one currency or one country or whatever. At the moment, it happens, it's, it's happening to all the major currencies in the world. Euro, renminbi, uh, 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 like uh, US dollar, everything is sort of devaluated at the same time. So, and because everything is relative to each other, obviously, by the way, it's not just Bitcoin, but assets go up. This is why I'm on a 10 year horizon. I'm extremely bullish on, in general, quality assets, stocks, Bitcoin, anything which is not cash. I think the most dangerous asset class for 10 years is cash. Doesn't mean, by the way, there can't be stock market crash, whatever, in between where you want to have cash to buy. Yeah, so you should have like, how you say in English, tactically cash, but not mm -hmm. like strategically cash. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, but Bitcoin, and so and Bitcoin is one of these assets first. And then second, the world always needs a store of value. Mm. So for thousands of years, gold is, was the store of value of choice. I mean, think about it, how many currencies <laughs> mm. were there and many thousands because by the way always politicians mess it, mess it up always like people politicians can't be entrusted with currencies full stop it's always a bad idea yeah always 100 percent. and so people always say gold yeah so but gold is, is also people then say oh bitcoin has no value gold has no value you can't eat it it's actually one of these things like you can't eat it it's maybe nice to look at but like it's just a convention it's just an agreement humanity has and I would go further, it's embedded in our cultural system. There are so many fairy tales and things about gold. But if you ask a 10-year-old, for him, it's Bitcoin. Bitcoin is his pop culture store of value. 
And that's exactly like gold. So and I think that shift has happened or is about to happen, that Bitcoin is at least additionally to gold and someone will completely make gold redundant yeah, is the new store of value. And it's just, you can argue now, what's the value of Bitcoin? Because it's, it's, a, it's a convention. It's a deal society made that we accept that. That's the value. Yeah, there is no... Nothing more, I meaning you can add then and say, oh, maybe Bitcoin is disrupting the financial system, but it's all secondary. The main thing is, is it a store of value or not? And for me, it is a store of value. Yeah, that's sort of the main driver of uh, Bitcoin is the new gold. That's enough, by the way, to make it still go up dramatically compared to gold. We could talk about this forever, but um, my last question, and this is definitely my last question is, as you think forward, uh, you know, in your future, you said at the start of this podcast about visualizing every morning. You visualize and you think about the things that you want your future to hold. I know if I said to you, like, what's the end? There is no end. I get that because I understand your thinking. This is a continuous pursuit of your own hobbies yep. and interests. But when you visualize what you want Christian's future to look like, say in, you know, a couple of decades from now, what are the like the principles of that future? What are the characteristics of it? I still it? want to look like today. You want to look super sexy and young? Yes. You want to look we're 20 gonna years old? That. We're going to make that. Yeah, we can do that on Photoshop. Uh, no, not on Photoshop. <laughs> well, we're going to make that in real life. Well, because I value human connection, Photoshop doesn't work because you well, want to meet people. we're going to be cyborgs people. anyway, so in well, virtual world, so. Well, I think we're going to be cyborgs. I think we're going to, that's one of the drivers, which I think is still human. We're going to merge with technology. We already are, meaning, mm. uh, uh, what is it called? Like what you put on your heart, like um stent or like whatever yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. is already like a cyborg it's just like very early exactly it's very so but that's the whole point i there is no end game because that would be kind of sad it's this what it's the same like with work-life balance to say if i would just work because then you're back at these famous sort of what was it a novel from whom was it like they already this old tale where the fisher is on the the guy is on the beach and meets the guy yeah yeah i know the story yeah it's a you know which one I mean yeah, like yeah so where then it comes out oh he works his ass off just to lie on the beach and then the poor guy is saying why you could lie on the beach now yeah that's the whole point it's about the journey it's not about an end point so I don't have an end point and I never had I just like try to keep my again it's all about keeping my life exciting because if, if it wouldn't then I would want to die so keep my life cool and this by the way this can change when maybe in 40 years it's not I'm not a robot like this is not gonna i'm not gonna be i'm i'm maturing like or maturing like i'm I'm changing in a positive way like uh maybe in 40 years i decide that i don't think so but i don't know like and it's like the good thing is that i'm open for it i want to be already maybe in 40 years i look i had now everything i had on a in in entrepreneurship maybe i want to you you feel yourself changing and maturing and you're yeah but maturing is i want to yeah changing but in a in a good way that again i'm trying to continuously analyze what now we're back at the word soul or whatever you would call it your inner voice is telling you what is good for me now and it might be that this is changing over time so for example i decided decided it's the wrong word like i feel that it's getting time somewhere not urgently to getting children like if you would have asked me 20 years ago i would have said no i don't want children like yeah so but it's like being open for that and maybe in in 40 years I'm just making it up now as an example not that I feel like maybe I say look I want to be a singer now God beware and the world is like no 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 because I really can't but like maybe I have some new ideas which really like are different what I'm doing now but like it's important to stay open for that inner voice because it might change and just because again so far continuously I love doing what I do and exploring that but like 
You know what I mean? Like I can get you. Yeah. Man. So don't put an endpoint. There is not this one thing because that would be sad. Like if a most depressive day ever, isn't it? Exactly. The, like the, and, the day you lose all meaning. Seemingly. Yeah. Well, listen. Thank you so much for for agreeing to do this. You are honestly the, one of the most fascinating people I, I've I've ever met, and I, I'm not just saying. I want to win an Oscar. But it's just like, I'm like, sure you do. No, no. Like, there I'm was sure one. Of, I want to be doing something creative, like I, I something I, artistic. Artistic, yeah. So I've I've gone through the same thing since leaving Social Chain. I was like, I'm going to DJ. I'm I've done a big. Uh, that, by the way, I thought it was very cool when you told me that. I was like, that's I've a got cool more to thing. Tell you. I've got I've directed a theatrical show with the, the associate director of Hamilton. It's it's theatre. It's called The Diary of a CEO Live. It's the theatrical version of my life. There's a 50-person choir, sold out already. And I said to myself that I didn't want to be a label. So I don't want to be a social media CEO. I'm a guy that has a bunch of perspective and that perspective can be applied to art, my book, which I wrote myself, the show, creating music. I've got uh, my first DJ performance at a festival this year. And I just thought, det- what, what if you detached yourself from your labels? What kind of person would you become? You'd become artistic. You'd become... Yeah health-centric you'd start businesses you know for example i always think i should write the script because i can't act when it could like when i'm not good in it like mm-hmm. also you should be always self-aware when you, <laughs> yeah. where it's yeah, not yeah, worth yeah, pursuing yeah. but like i always really maybe you should write a script i was like because i love movies i produce movies so so i so i was like maybe i should again but again it's always listening to yourself what your soul inner voice however you want to call it not society exactly and not outside world is telling you you are the probably the most interesting person I know in in a really compelling way. Sometimes I know people and they're like successful and I think, oh God, I hate to be that person. But you are in like a really compelling, unique way because of your work you do, but because of your philosophy for life, because of this sort of, this, I guess like almost, I don't know what the hell they, they refer to it, but this like how your how re- your scientific view can can merge with a spiritual one and a religious one, I find super fascinating. And I think it's those sort of intersections that create really interesting ideas. Um, you're also the most hardworking person I know, um, but you're also a really nice guy. Oh, thank you. You know, really like nice guy behind the scenes as well. And so thank you for coming on the podcast. I think, you know, I, I think your future is going to be staggering. I talk about you all the time to my team, all the time. I'm like, you know, because you are very, very compelling in a number of really positive ways. Uh, I think I think uh, the work you're doing with Atai, Compass and all of your other companies are staggering. And I think you're actually going to be one of the most important entrepreneurs, creators of our time. I think the world is... Okay, and I was like, you no, know, no, I genuinely, are very bad with I don't that. Care. Like, like, I don't, don't have care. these like words. I genuinely was like, I know Christian coming on my podcast now. I know in 10 years time, this is probably going to be one of my most viewed podcasts ever because of the trajectory you're on and the way you think. It's my my prediction. I'm very rarely wrong. <laughs> oh, but thank you. don't have to be like, oh, you're so right, Steve. You're, you're, you're big too humble. Journalists don't know what to say. We no, don't but I mean it. Words. I do mean it. Um, and thank it's been a privilege much. to work with you over the last couple of months and understand that because it's been inspiring for me. Um, thank you for doing this today. I hope you've enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did very much. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud so you can access it from anywhere and the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky 
and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.